Audi. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Still continuing to get the best guests for you despite the lockdown. And when dreaming of travel because we can't actually travel at the moment I think travel and dreaming and travel has become a lot more meaningful so this week the podcast has had a lot of success we've hit number one again in the Apple Podcasts UK travel charts and also number one in the UAE number five in Spain number three in Belgium charting high in lots of different places we're really pleased about that oh and number 28 in the US travel charts which is a big deal as it's such a big country it's a country I love and it has an awful lot of podcasts over there. So hello to all of our new listeners. I'm so happy to have you with us. If you'd give us a review, that'd be great, but I don't care. Just stay with us and enjoy the ride. We've also been featured in the press, including articles from Wanderlust magazine and even the Guardian newspaper. So that's been wonderful. And I've loved being on other podcasts as well, actually, in the last week. I've been on the fabulous When in Spain by Paul Burge. If you haven't listened to this podcast yet, do check it out. It's wonderful. And Paul, who's in lockdown in Madrid, and I, lockdown in London, of course, We have a really lovely conversation paying homage to the country, Spain, that we both love. And although he is in Spain at the moment, and I'm I'm meant to be in Spain, but not in Spain, neither of us can explore at the moment. But we do pay proper homage to it. And I I do hope you'll like it. Anyway, so today's guest, he's utterly fascinating. I really, really hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I did speaking to him. It was very educational and entertaining and much more. And here he is. Searching for the quirk in the world, the places created for odd reasons and perverse town planning, cultural commentator Travis Elborough has written about topics as diverse as the history of the Routemaster bus, vinyl records, donkeys at the British seaside, pirates in the Caribbean and most recently collaborated with cartographer Martin Brown for the Atlas of Vanishing Places, which is the winner of the Edward Stanford Travel Writing Awards 2020 illustrated book. And for this episode, we're actually in the wonderful Stanford's Travel Bookshop in London's Covent Garden just before we went into lockdown. I mean, I, I, I always think of career as a verb, you know, that in the sense that it's a, a wayward uh, sort of uh, writing and, uh, and publishing career. And, I mean, my background is in, is in journalism, really. And I've you know, written books about the English seaside, I've written books about... Um, London's classic Routemaster bus, um, and I've written a series of, of things about travel, from everything from you know pirates in the Caribbean to you know the bucket and spade English summer holiday. So um, I mean, vanishing places. The idea for it actually came from the first Atlas book I did, which was the Atlas of Improbable Places, and one of the improbable places included in that 
was the RLC in Uzbekistan, uh, which is, used to be the fourth largest lake in the world, supplied the Soviet Union with the sixth of its fish. But um, in the 1950s, uh, some of the tributaries off it were diverted for the growing of cotton. And you know, the, essentially, the RLC is, is now down to a sort of a tenth of its original size. And if you go there, you know, there are rusting hulks in what was you know, open waterways. And so that, that was this, the starting point when you think about this idea of you know, missing and lost places and places that were going. So the book has some classical places, Aliki in, in Greece or Alexandria. And then it has, I suppose, things which are more threatened by contemporary climate change issues. So Tuvalu, um, the Great Barrier Reef, the Great Wall of China, Skipsea in Yorkshire and so on. So, and the, the visual element of the book is, which hopefully was why for some reason it got the gong from illustrated prize winner, was because the maps that Martin supplied are often a sort of before and after. So there's an image of, of a place, perhaps as it was, something like, for example, he, ha- he has a map of the Danube River, for example, which is one of the, the vanishing places, which is now from from the 1870s to now, it has lost 80% of, it, of its flood plan it really? because it's Gosh. been canaled and so on. So the map shows you, you know, the Danube as it was and the sort of Danube as it is today. So there's the idea of being able to do this, I mean, maps as, as time travel, really. You can, you know, you, we talk about reading maps and, um, and the idea in a way is that the maps also tell a story as well as I'm recounting one with, with my text. I can just hear the arm, I think it's the armrest, because we're in a travel shop, we've got rickety wooden chairs here that are making a noise, but it's, it's adding to the Exactly, you know, we can imagine we're on board some you know, ancient mariner's ship, uh, you know, rolling slowly across the ocean and exploring you know, the far corners of the globe at a point before they were inked in on the maps. I love that. See, I need <laughs> to take you to all my podcast recording. If there's a funny noise in the background, I'm going to be imagining I am on said ship. So what was the, what was the, oh, you've told me the idea behind it. Did you have to travel to all these places? Unfortunately, I didn't get to go to all of them, but, but some of them are places I've visited in the past and some, you know, I've just you know, read about them or, you know, looked at them on online maps and online videos and so on. I mean, some of them, I mean, there are documentaries about some of them as well. So there's a, a range of sources to be able to compile and, and write the book and some visiting, but alas, not, not all of them. Where did you visit? Off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably about, I don't know, about two-thirds, I think, roughly. But, yeah, but what uh, locations? What really stands out to you? We love stories on the podcast, so describe yeah. one of the, the most interesting places you went to. I mean, I mean, I guess it's not particularly interesting per se, but, I mean, something like the Great Barrier Reef is, is you know, it's just a, a fascinating thing to visit full, full stop. But I'm, I'm struck by, in a way, going back to this idea of the rickety boat, is that when sort of Captain Cook first arrived at the... Uh, at the Great Barrier Reef and the, the hull of their ship was, was damaged by it. So this idea that the Great Barrier Reef was a fearful thing and on, on maps he calls it the labyrinth, you know, this idea that somewhere you get lost in. And of course the, the sad thing is now with the idea of the vanishing places is that the changing climate and stuff are, is bleaching the, the reef so it, it, in the end we have proved more damaging to it than, than, than it has been to us. I mean I guess even somewhere like Xanadu, for example, in, 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 in sort of Mongolia, uh, which has only been open to the public since 2011. We think of this great kind of mythic city, um, you know, from, from you know, Genghis and Kublai Khan, this citadel in the desert, which you know, exists in this semi-mythic. The architectural 
uh, sorry, the ar- archaeological work to, to dig this city up only began in the 1990s, and therefore it's only been open to the public since 2011. And, you know, that's fascinatingly recent. Uh, I mean, when you go there, you know, you, there is you know, quite a lot of nice bits of ruined statuary and stuff to give you a sense of what was there. But, you know, it still takes a leap of the imagination to imagine it in, in its full, you know, Khan-like Mongolian glory. This extraordinary, you know, space out in, out in the sort of, you know, the, in the desert, really. I mean, I think it's, it's more that you, you, you know, you're touching something which is so ancient that links back to, you know, effectively to Marco, well, Marco Polo, you know, the, the, the first descriptions of it that are brought back. Um, come from there and um, I'm like I think it, there's a strand of this obviously because it's about vanishing places some of the places aren't there anymore I mean um, my wife is from uh, Virginia in uh, in North America and one of the places in the book is this place called Roanoke which is in what was in Virginia but it's now North Carolina uh, well, we say North Carolina because the problem is although we have a fragment of a map which was left over from this colony um, by because the leader of the colony was actually a, an artist and map maker, but he had to re- he left a small party of, of colonists there and, and had to return to England. In the meantime, a war breaks out between Britain and Spain, so he can't get back. And eventually, when they return, they found the colony has vanished. But to, to further add to the complication of it, since then, lots of erosion and stuff has gone on that part of the coast, so we actually don't know where Roanoke is. So we have a map, but we don't have a place. We have a kind of speculation about where it is. And you can visit that part of North Carolina and there'll be claims made for this being where Roanoke is. But the honest truth of the matter is we don't know. And there's, um, there's no physical signs? No, there's nothing there. That, well, We know it was there. We know it was there. We know roughly where it was. And there are, you know, there are museums to it in that part of you know, North Carolina and so on, which you can visit in the same way that you can visit sort of Colonial Williamsburg, this sort of ersatz uh, colonist fort um, further down in, 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 in Virginia, but it, it's gone. You know, we don't know, <laughs> we don't know what that's there. And the same with, you know, um, places like Port Royal, which is was the sort of, um, you know, one time is the wickedest city, you know, in, 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 in sort of Jamaica, which was where all the sort of pirates and stuff would roust about. But, you know, it was destroyed in great storms in the early part of the, uh, the 18th century, late 17th, early 18th century. Um, and again, there, you know, some of it's under the sea, and there's a great museum you can go and visit and see some you know, fragments of stuff that's been covered, but, but you're looking out at something that's not, not, there, not there anymore, effectively. What's your take, talking of that, what's your take on Atlantis? Well, Haliki uh, is, is one of the supposed bases for, um, for, uh, for Atlantis. I mean, essentially, there seems to have been a, a kind of an old amount of um, commotions of weather uh, in the sort of ancient times, which seem to have destroyed several ancient cities or, or, or cities that were kind of suddenly abandoned. Timgrad, sort of in Algeria. Haliki, you know, is, which I think most people, I think, joining the dots up seems the most likely inspiration for Atlantis. Uh, but again, because the remains for it were found further inland than anyone was expecting, it wasn't accepted as, as possibly that, the basis for that. But, um, I mean, it, it, there are, I suppose, they're the archetypal kind of forms of ruin, aren't they, and, and loss. The fear, I mean, I mean, even biblical, going back to the idea of, you know, the, the, the flood, that, you know, the, the seas that will, you know, will claim this land mass and remove it all. I mean, you think that's the fascinating thing about writing a book like this, is where you're... you're when you were talking about the ancient world, you're talking about like somewhere like Alexandria, which you know had this great library and its lighthouse. Um, it was this enormous cradle of intellectual activity and civilization. It looked absolutely, you know, as if it could never fall, but of course it does. You know, um, again, due to one of these strange climatic moments, 
you know, the lighthouse and um, the library and everything just sort of disappear under, underneath the ocean. Obviously, there, there is still the city of Alexandra remains, but the bit that was, in a way, the, the, the pivot, the most you know, um, profound and majestic part of it goes, and, and that's clearly something of a lesson <laughs> to us all. Not, not to take it. In this, not uh, to take, in this yeah. climate, it yeah, feels a little exactly. bit prophetic. I hope it's not. Yeah, well, again, hopefully not. I you mean, don't think it. these things are going to crumble. But then it's interesting what stayed, isn't it? It's interesting sure. what stayed. You know, yeah. Stonehenge, Machu yeah. Picchu, yeah. You know, the pyramids. You know, it's, it's fascinating because we don't yet know how they created some of these no. things in those times. Yeah. I mean, the, the alternative is one of the other places I mentioned, one of the other atlas, which is also fascinating to visit because it's so ridiculous in lots of respect, is Mary Hill in Washington State, Washington State, alas, another area somewhat uh, prone to coronavirus at the moment. But, um, but in Washington State, there's this place called Mary Hill, which was created as a memorial to the dead of the First World War. But what it is, is, is it's a huge replica concrete Stonehenge oh, uh, because really? the person who created it thought... Stonehenge was a place of, of human sacrifice, so it becomes this huge metaphorical structure. But in 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 Washington State, the human on, sacrifice uh, of the war, yeah, of the war, exactly. But it's it's this very tidy Stonehenge made of concrete, which is like doesn't look doesn't hasn't quite ruined in quite the way it's that a, it would. It's sort of Las Vegas of Stonehenge. Yeah, it's a very tidy Stonehenge made of made of concrete. But but it's I mean it's a majestic structure. You know, you look down on the you know on the bay and below you know from this great height of this this wonderful concrete. Stonehenge, but you do, it's a kind of bonkers thing. And in a way, it's an you're American sort of, version yeah, of Stonehenge, Stonehenge exactly. isn't it? But, like, it all, but it also makes you think about how bonkers Stonehenge itself is. You're, yeah, you're it tracking, doesn't make sense. Exactly, yeah. tracking these things over there. And, and the, particularly the problem with the concrete one as well is that it's, it's not configured in the right position to be able to, to work as a solar clock or anything else, wherever you wanted it to be, because it's on the, on the wrong angle, apparently. I mean, I haven't, haven't looked too deeply into the, the sort of, you know, solar astrological power of this particular Stonehenge, but, but it is a fascinating thing it's to a, It's a wonder they didn't try and buy the original and ship it well, over. No, that, no, that, well, no, that's, that's Lake Havasu, Arizona, you're, you're hitting the on London there. Bridge. London Bridge, yes, yeah, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is another place I've, I've visited as well. Uh, and what that, is it like? It's quite underwhelming, I hear. I haven't been. Well, I wouldn't say so, actually. I mean, it's... Lake Havasu, so I mean, basically, before um, 1948, there was no Lake Havasu. Lake Havasu was created by um, a sort of, you know, a dam to bring water to um, Los Angeles. We think of the oh, great film. So it's the, op- it's the opposite of your vanishing places. Yeah, it's exactly. A, it's an emerging great, place. Emerging place, yeah. So it, it's, it's, I mean, people have seen the film Chinatown, for example, the whole thing of, you know, bringing water to Los Angeles to provide, well, you know, life uh, for Los Angeles, which is, is obviously built in a desert. So they, so they create Lake Havasu um, and it becomes essentially a, a kind of place where people go and fish. Um, it's an Air Force base during the Second World War, an army base, I think. But it, essentially in, nine, in the early 1960s, this character called uh, C.V. Wood, who's a, a planner for Disneyland... And so essentially, Robert, pa- Robert Paxton McCulloch is an oil magnate and property baron. He has a plant making outboard motors outside Los Angeles. And he's getting hit for, for taxes, for zoning taxes or whatever. They're building a new airport in that part of Los Angeles. So he decides he's, he's going to build a new plant to have these outboard motors in Lake Havasu, because there's a lake there. They can test the outboard motors. Bingo. 
He also, Paxton's other great invention was the one-handed chainsaw. That right. was his, uh, his big marketing thing. Um, I've never used a chainsaw. A one-handed chainsaw is still in operation? Yeah, yeah, yeah they still, yeah. yeah. So, um, and he also did a, a carp thing called the Paxton Supercharger as well, just to add to the thing. He was, a, he was a kind of enthusiast for sports and games and motor racing and um, you know, boating and that sort of stuff. And his partner in crime man called Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood was a champion laureate twirler, uh, a champion chili chef, and also had worked with Disney on the creating of Disneyland. Sorry, and a what twirler? A laureate. Like a, it's like a kind of rope. It's like a sort of cowboy roping sort of thing. So it was that, and as well as being a, the undefeated champion chili chef as well. So, <laughs> so they, they, they get together this plan that they're going to create this new town out in Lake Havasu in Arizona. So they signed the deeds for the town in about the early 60s. Town's doing all right. They're encouraging some people to move there. He's moved his factory over. And they get wind that old London Bridge, or London, or London Bridge by John Rennie from the 1830s, is up for sale. So they buy London Bridge and have it shipped piece by piece and erected on dry land. <laughs> and then they dynamite a bit to allow some of the lake to go through as an underwater channel. It's easier to erect a, a bridge over dry land than dealing with you know, a moving water and river and stuff. So anyway, Didn't they think they were going to tow a bridge? Well, I, that's, that a, a, uh, that's a bit a of an myth. urban myth. Is it? I mean, oh, that's uh, a shame. I, I, mean, always, I always tell one, that story. I mean, one that Cornelius Vanderbilt would himself also sort of played around with a bit. I mean, this era, we have to remember, it's the early 60s as well. You have things like the Queen Mary being sold to Long Beach. Long Beach. It, yeah. yeah, exactly, to be used as a hotel and so on. So, you know... In, in a way, I argue that it's a bit of a precursor to things like Take Britain, these former in, industrial bits of architecture being moved as, as the centrepiece to centres of leisure and, and tourism. Oh, God, they're going to come after Take Britain next. Well, <laughs> yeah, all it's possible, yeah. Brick Ship by it across, brick, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, get it yeah. across the, uh, the <laughs> exactly. Atlantic. So, the, so anyway, the, it's in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. I mean, John Rennie's London Bridge was it's a neoclassical bridge. It's quite an attractive-looking bridge. But if you see photographs of it in London, it doesn't look all that, to be perfectly honest. Also, it was almost immediately out of date the moment that they um, erected it in the 1830s because, you know, it, it was designed for a kind of a ho- the horse age and suddenly railways arrive, the horse bus arrives, uh, they've got steamboats on the Thames um, and then by the... They have to widen it already, etc., etc. Anyway, the... Um, but in, actually, in Lake Havasu, it doesn't look bad. It looks... It, I mean, partly it's it, the slightly ridiculousness of it. I mean, Lake Havasu is a very, it's a very desert-like terrain. Um, you know, just a few tufts of strange Joshua Street tree-style plants kind of around the area. A bit of tumbleweed. Yeah, a bit of tumbleweed. And so the lake is a, is a real beauty when you come across it, when you, when you sort of drive in. And it's part of the old Route 66. So I, I, I drove with a poet friend of mine, drove me from Los Angeles across... The part of the old Route 66 to... How very, how very beatnik of you. It was, with yeah. With your poet yeah, friend. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Why don't I yeah. have a poet friend to go <laughs> yeah, exactly, driving yeah. across America with? <laughs> so you kind of... You, you're driving... And the other thing, rather like uh, the Arrow Sea, one of the things, the other oddities about it as well is, as you're driving in, you know, you see these houses and they've got a boat outside there on a trailer, but it's like desert. And you're sort of... Mm, that's a bit strange isn't it and then you sort of when you come round into sort of like how is it you suddenly you're you're greeted by the blue of the of the lake it's very popular with spring breakers, Lake Havasu as well. People, uh, you know, drive under it on on, uh, on speedboats, blowing horns, and, uh, and uh, it's kind of a, it's a party town, really. Yeah. The other thing is, it's also a place of snowbirds. People who gravitate from you know Minnesota in the winter to um, to go there when it's warmer and so on. But I mean, it's when I was there in I think September, October, and it was. 
baking hot. And I did a tour of the bridge with um, two guys from a Harley-Davidson magazine called American Iron who are on their way to Las Vegas and they sort of stopped off en route to take a, take a look at this thing. But there are only three of us doing the tour. You know? <laughs> so it was like, you know... Um, but it's going to be... Okay. Is it on I, bikes? It wasn't on bikes. The, they, we, we were walking the tour, yeah. We, they, they'd arrived on bikes, obviously. Nice. But, you know, and they had photographs of themselves taken, obviously, on... You know, look, I mean, it's got the whole, you know, City of London lions. It has a, an ersatz Trafalgar Square with... Um, Fountains and uh, you know, I'm sure I've told was made in Mexico. It's got some gates from somewhere in Gloucestershire. I think they got them from. You know, it's like it's very uh, fascinating in that respect. But actually, they, they used to have this thing called the English Village, which was a sort of you know yoldy town with a tavern and all this sort of stuff. And part of that land was also owned by the City of London, the Corporation of London. They let, they've let it go since. But also, the English Village is. is defunct now it's it's, it's Sorry, departed it's fascinating isn't it it's just this is basically one large folly no yeah, reason exactly yeah i mean i, mean, I, I, mean, I think i like follies i mean i think yeah, that, i mean that's i mean they're, they're probably le- because of the nature of vanishing places there are probably fewer follies in, in that although there are things where you know things like old adamanty where adam will be i never had to pronounce it in australia which was um, one of the places that was sunk um due to hydroelectric dam being created so there's a there's an ongoing thing of, of things disappearing underwater due to hydroelectric dam yes that, <laughs> across that always the, fascinates yeah. me because you can imagine the town left yeah. underneath all that deep exactly. water can't you well in this one because again because of climate change and the rest of it the and the water has sunk so there's the town has sort of poking back up into the horizon where, whereas it's been underwater Really odd, especially if that's your town, because yeah, there'd be well, people, you know, old enough to remember. Well, also there. because they do that thing of there's new Adam, I believe, which is across the way. So you, you know, they, they could literally look at it and see it kind of reemerge yeah. in this oh, ghost that's my town. House. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I suppose the, one of the other places in vanishing places is is Bodie, which was a, a wild west town uh, in California, which had, you know, it was a gold rush town, became incredibly popular. Uh, it became a byword for lawlessness. So the phrase, a bad man from Bodie, uh, was a kind of, you know, used in newspapers of that time to symbolise someone really kind of, you know, nasty and, you know, and, and you know, the lowest of the low. But uh, gradually the gold, you know, the gold runs out and the town industries sort of fade out. And so in the early 1960s, they take the decision to kind of arrest its decline. So it's stuck pretty much as it was, at the state of decay it was in the early 1960s and sort of kept at that level of, of decay. So you walk through it and it is very much like being, you know, uh, in, I don't know, gun smoke or something. You feel like you're on a stage set, but it's actually a kind of a, a, a real place. But the idea of a... Frozen you know, in time. So do people yeah. still live there? No, it's not inhabited anymore. Um, it's just a... It's like held as a, like a national park in a weird kind of way. It's like it's, it's preserved... As a, as is in a way, as was in the nineties. I mean, there are quite a few ghost western towns in that part of, of California and across. America is such a bizarre place when you think about it. You think that we've got so much in common, common because of the language and sure. everything, but there's, yeah. because it's so vast, yeah. weird things happen. Yeah. And what I love is that you're talking about the states. When I, I looked at this, I thought you'll be talking about places that are you know overgrown. Really interesting ones like Xanadu, like you mentioned, yeah. and the lake in Uzbekistan. Places that have been overgrown in the jungle, you know, I've been to places like Angkor Wat, things like that. Mm, but I love the yeah. fact we're actually talking also about more modern, even though it's sure. a couple of hundred years yeah, old, yeah. it's still a lot more modern than the, the ancient. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these places are, are still vanishing. Yes, I mean, well, I, mean I guess it's that, that tension in a way, isn't it, where people like places like Chan Chan in, in, in Peru, where, you know, they're, they're rediscovered and they become tourist centres, but they're still under threat from, uh, you know, climate-related 
change and so on. So it's keeping some of those things intact, in but also being aware that actually the things that are much more recent are also as, as, as vulnerable to being you know, destroyed or removed by, by climate change. I mean, one of the closer to home places in the book, two, two places in the sort of UK in this, in this book. One is Skipsey on the uh, East Yorkshire coast, which is one of the fastest retreating coastlines in Britain. Um, and Martin's wonderful map illustrates you know, how, how many towns have been lost along that quarter of the coast since the Middle Ages. And they have these fascinatingly uh, robust North Country names. I mean, Ravenna's Odd is one of the towns which is now long beneath, beneath the sea. But Skipsey you know, is, is deeply imperiled as, uh, and will probably... It's one of those places where, in order to preserve Hull or some other parts, you know, that some degree of managed decline will, will possibly happen. And the other place is um, Scara Bray in, in, you know, in the sort of Orkneys, which has, again, has this interesting circularity to it. That, I mean, the, the, the story is that it was this prehistoric settlement of these astonishing stone houses and stone buildings, stone implements, stone chairs, stone beds. I mean, your life was really... It was the Stone Age, <laughs> quite literally. literally, literally the like the Stone Age. Um, <laughs> was unearthed by a great storm in about 1850. That's sort of the classic story, wow. but there are disputed... In, in nature of these things, there's disputes about, about that. Um, but it's excavated again in the 1920s. Sort of, you know, it becomes a big thing. There are bards written about it and this fascinating lost civilization. And then it sort of people lose interest in it for whatever reason. But then there's some more storms in the early part of the 20th century. So a fresh load of excavations are made then, and a new seawall is is put up to protect uh, this settlement. Um, and although it's, you know, it's it's at this point now, it's, it's you know, it's still it's protected and so on. But again, because of rising sea levels and so on it, it remains still on the, the kind of at risk in going, a way there's going to be more places like that we are well obviously with climate change and the sea levels rising and the sea warming mm. we've got that issue but we are an island as well yeah. you know we, we've got massive big chalk cliffs and chalk yeah. is not you know the strongest it's not the stone age you know yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, yeah. it will um it crumbles. Yeah, you, know, you, exactly. you see these massive. It's attempting to return to its natural state. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but when you've yeah. got a house on the edge of the cliff that's existed yeah. even you know for quite a long time, but mm. that must be really worrying of for course. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of the tensions in a way of of, of what you know what 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 to keep and what to to sacrifice in order to keep something else. Venice as well. Venice, Venice is, is yeah, yeah, significant. Yes, definitely. Got significant issues. Although yeah. well, apparently nobody's there right now. No, but that's very helping. <laughs> yes, I mean, I mean, Venice. Obviously, the you know, it, it, I mean, it's fascinating for double or double reasons in, in in that respect because you know, Venice is where the word quarantine comes from because there people will be held on one of the outer lying islands before being allowed in to the to the, to the Republic. That's interesting. Um, for those, that's where yeah, the word actually yeah, comes from. Yeah, the 40 from. days. That's the quarantine. You know, um, also, oh, uh, also quarantine, give, I see, yeah. in Latin. So uh, and also, they also give us the word ghetto as well. Um, so, <laughs> where does ghetto come from? Well, it's slightly complicated. It might, mean if, it might, be, might come from a furnace. It's one of the areas, that, but it was an area essentially the Jewish population was sort of moved into at one point during sort of some tensions within. I mean, the great thing about Venice, or the fascinating thing about the history of Venice and, and in some sense still today because of the number of international visitors, that it was a very outward-looking, uh, multicultural 
society as a republic. Uh, you know, tr- its trading routes were you know went through the east. All, most of the sort of herbs and spices would ta- would be channeled through through Venice, um, and hence you know its fantastic wealth, which allows all those extraordinary basilica buildings. And you know, and it's the main beneficiary of the sack of Constantinople. So hence the architectural mm-hmm. style as well. But yes, Venice is uh, with the increasing um, tides. Um, it does look. In, I mean, it's been in peril. For some time, but it, but now more than ever. It, I mean, there you know there are things on you know St Peter's Basilica, just, you know uh, you know il- illustrations. You know, were showing the you know the threat of the waves from you know the 15th century. But you know, now more than ever, I it's guess it's happening more and more. Yeah, isn't exactly. It? I it's, more it's, regular. Always, it's all it's always flooded, but yeah, like exactly. you said, it's more regular. Yeah. Where else has really stood out? I mean. I, we did get slightly. I can't. The problem is I can't. I've never been able to pronounce this. But okay, basically, fine. it's uh, uh, it, so. Tell me yeah, what it is, yeah. and I'll ask well, you a question. What it is is it, just outside Rotterdam. Yeah. Uh, there are a series of of bridges, which okay. are uh, re- they're an artist's project basically, and they're, and they're the sort of replicas of the bridges that are back on the back of the euro note, because realizing when they're issuing the euro currency, not every single country could have a, a, a monument which could be depicted. On the on the back of the euro currency, so they basically made a selection of st- bridges in the style of uh, European bridges. So they're, so they're kind of not quite the style of. So the, an artist whose name I can't remember now, uh, outside Rotterdam, as a project create has created all of the bridges on uh, the euro note, uh, but they're in this kind of rather obscure sort of housing, <laughs> housing estate in the back of Rotterdam. <laughs> and it's not a very anecdote-heavy story, but, but it's just that you can't quite believe. I mean, they, they work as functional bridges. They're kind of lovely, but, you know, you then get your money out and hold it up against the, you know, the, the bridge and work out which note bridge you're looking at and can do a kind of join the dots up on, on that. That's so bizarre. Yeah, but it's kind of rather wonderful in a way that essentially, you know, this imagined state of bridging has been manifested, you know, in in Holland, in you know, in Rotterdam. Maybe if a few if a few Leave voters went to see the bridges, they'd be they'd be yeah they'd they'd repent or something other or not. We should send everyone to see the bridges. It should be like national. Well, it's kind of yeah, a parting farewell really to the. No, we didn't join the euro anyway, so it's not like no, that's true. Actually, we never had the euro. Kind of replica pound note somewhere or something like that. I don't know. I, I guess the, in a way, my or the, the a lot a lot of these places. I mean, there are some places like Wittenoon which you can't go to because it's a former asbestos place in Australia and it's just been taken off the maps. Some of these places, I guess, are almost re- reverse tourism. Though that, that has become now a thing itself in the way that they are, you know, defunct. Uh, I mean, uh, like for example, in the Solent, there's a the the, the um, uh, the forts there, which were to protect against the sort of you know invasion with, uh, from the French, um, which one of those is now turned into a sort of party venue where you can go. And it's kind of you know, uh, it's that thing of going to see things which are these rather the reverse of what they what they originally were. They've been but those are the big into, round forts. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I've seen yeah, quite yeah, a few yeah. of them. They're dotted along the exactly. southeast so, coast, the Solent, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. So one I've of them's now them. been turned into a kind of a, a party Louis venue. Kent as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So they, so I think there's they're unusual in the sense that obviously that they are. They're not things that we would have historically been considered, you know, uh, go-to destinations. But I think there's a sort of whole transformation in our aesthetic about what's an object of interest. So, you know, going to Cincinnati, for example, to have a look at the defunct underground railway th- thing or some, you know, <laughs> other piece of sort of cavernous kit that's surplus to a requirement has become 
or for, certainly to me, is, is, is fascinating. Similarly with the, you know, the concrete Stonehenge or, or Slab City again in California, the sort of, you know, for, sort of squatter camp out, out, out that way, which does actually have a golf course, uh, you know, <laughs> just, you know, despite, again, it being a load of just rubble and scroll. Love, and golf go really hand exactly, in hand. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it makes, it, it's, it's, it's marginally more interesting visiting that than it is visiting St. Andrews, possibly. You know, you kind yes. of know what to expect from a kind of rolling golf course. You don't necessarily know what to expect from, you know, Slab City. No, other than the slabs, obviously, you know, which and are, are slightly given. And a, and now yeah. a golf course, exactly. I know what to expect. Yeah. So I think, so I think, I think that's that you're looking for. Well, I'm looking for some degree of, of quirk mm. in, my, in my travels, but also that you know that doesn't doesn't. I'm not immune to to astonishing scenes of you know physical beauty or the Amalfi Coast or you know or I mean the, the sort of majesty of, of the Rockies or something like that. I mean, I mean, one of the places that's in here actually is. Um, the Glacier National Park in, in America, which again, you know, the, the whole point is it's a Glacier National Park because <laughs> it has, has glaciers, but those glaciers could be gone by 20, 2030. So a very particular form of, of beautiful natural landscape in a sense because it has this, you know, this tundra is the thing that, that, that's going and, be, and being removed from the experience of, of, of that landscape and seeing it. Oh, God, that's worrying. You said you have a fascination with the quirk. What is it within you, do you think, that makes you seek out the quirk in everything perversity i don't know <laughs> i don't mean that in a kind of you know sexual sense you don't have to explain stuff i mean i i think it's just there's an element of you know why look at that uh, and then you think well why why not the, you know the, the, there's a you know there's a if there's a kind of disused mind stuff shaft and then like, i probably have a poke about or something i don't, don't know why <laughs> particularly <laughs> i think i mean i guess I mean, beauty is in the eye of the, hold, the holder, I guess, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's, some of it's probably just uh, travelling at the point when, when kind of, you know, I mean, when I first went sort of travelling as a, as a, you know, late teenager, I'm into my early 20s, you, I remember, you know, staying in Alf Chapman, this boat off um, Stockholm's harbour, uh, which is a kind of youth, youth hosteling place, and there are, there are kind of many beautiful parts of, of, of Stockholm, and it's a beautiful city, but, but being able to stay on a boat, was, it just moored in this strange part of harbour was the, almost the highlight of it, rather than, <laughs> than the other stuff, in a way, you know. Um, why, what is it about me that, that goes... I mean, I mean, I guess I suppose it's maybe some of it's the writer as well, is that, uh, that I am interested in interesting stories, um, tautologists as that may sound, but uh, I'm... I'm intrigued by stories and I'm intrigued of places which are created for, for, for odd reasons, you know, follies or, you, I mean, things like, you know, Fordlandia in Brazil, for example, which was a, a model settlement established by Henry Ford for his workers that was a complete disaster and uh, because he wanted to enforce certain dietary rules that all the staff had to eat these weird foods that <laughs> he dictated and the whole thing just kind of collapsed and, and, and you know, it's rotting away and stuff. I mean, that's the story of that, you know, the will of someone to inflict that on, the, on their workers. Um, and, uh, you know, there's something, something about failed utopian places as yes. well, uh, you know, that they're, they're built with the best in, intentions or that they're the height of... I mean, something like Bodie, California, which I've already mentioned, i.e. that they're, the, they're part of a boom, part of the gold rush. Uh, there's another place in... Um, Pennsylvania called Titusville, um, named after I think Mr. Titus, uh, but it's uh, it, it's the it's the birthplace of Vaseline. Uh, and, um, but that part of ben Pennsylvania 
was there was a huge um, oil rush at that, at that time in the in sort of the late nineteenth century. So it was a big centre of the oil industry before the sort of Texas and other things became more productive. So there's a whole story there in, in you know in that part of the world having this this bo- being a boom town. One, but same with you know um, Port Royal in um, in Jamaica. Um, you know, it's part of this. It goes, you know, quite offensive Caribbean uh, exploitation, which happened uh, with in the 17th, 18th century with the sort of British. Um, but it is this extraordinary, you know, roistering port of, of, of pirates, which, you know, when it's destroyed by this storm, is seen as almost an act of God, you know, giving it's this devilish way. Yeah. So I think, you know, you're, right, you're interested in poking around these places because they, they have interesting stories to tell. And it's an interesting experience, obviously. Um, but, you know, saying things like you know, the bonkersness of, you know, why is... Old London Bridge in the middle of the Arizona desert on a diverted part of a lake which didn't exist from until 1948. You know, it's, it's that almost sort of thing. like it's almost like um, you talk about perversion. It's almost like geographical perversion or town planning perversion yeah. or something like yeah. that. And what I love is these these crazy men. It's always men usually in history, a bit like Henry mm. Ford, yeah. that have decided. You know, okay, they've done some great things and created these great industries, like the, yeah. the Vaseline guy. You know. The Tupperware people, um, and also Disney. Mm. Walt Disney created Celebration in yeah. Orlando. Have you been exactly. to Celebration? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a crazy place yeah. to go to, and that isn't a vanishing place. I mean, that is firmly yeah. going. But I went there in the in the middle of good weather, and they were creating snow because they yeah. thought it, you know, it should. It had be to Christmas. have that. Really, it has way, to have it? snow. It's yeah. this utopian yeah. dream of Walt Disney, and actually, it's like people are living in Disneyland yeah. more or less. You know, in a perfect. And I mean, Disney. Lake Havasu was almost a similar idea with the kind of idea that it would be this model town with this tourism thing with the, you know, with the, the bridge, the old bridge with this yoldy, worldy London by the side of it. You know, it's... It's fascinating. It's been absolutely fascinating to meet you as well. Your, your book again is the, the most recent one is The Atlas of Vanishing Places and it's the winner of the Edward Stanford's Travel Writing Awards 2020, the category of... Illustrated book. Illustrated book, because it's got all these beautiful maps in it. And I'm going to ask you my last question, because my last question is always about music, because I believe Mm. that music and travel go very much hand in hand. And if you had to choose one song that reminds you of a memorable time and place of travel, what is that song and why? Where were you? Oh, well, I mean, I suppose I go go right back to to adolescence and interrailing, and it would be Kraftwerk's Trans-Europe Express. (laughs) So, you know, I think that's, I can't. And I think also once you, until I've been to, you know, Berlin or uh, some of these European cities, there are some Kraftwerk songs like Endless Europe, uh, where, you know, where you're staring down these sort of long boulevards or Karlsmark uh, alley, which goes almost all the way to kind of Poland in a straight line, that you're suddenly thinking, yeah, this kind of makes sense as a, as a kind of palette, as a, as a sort of, as a sonic <laughs> it distillation of that of that of that of that landscape. And the, I mean, the other one obviously would be, I, you know, some sort of country and western stuff in the states because there's the and, the and the idea of the road and and car travel and and though I have to say when we drove to Lake Havasu, I think. David was was mostly listening to Dr. Dre at the time, so that, that was the that, poet. Yeah, yeah, I exactly. love it. Yeah, the yeah. Dr. Dre. Listen, yeah. I was hoping for Bob Dylan or no, no, you know well, to, yeah, for your yeah. for your beatnik road trip with yeah. your poet mate, but no, it was it's Dr. Dr. Dre. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on the Big Travel Podcast. Absolute pleasure, Lisa. Thank you. Truly fascinating. Honestly, thank you so much, Travis, and indeed Stanford's for letting us use a corner of your wonderful bookshop. Keep dreaming of travel, everyone. Next week we will be exploring the Greek islands with author Victoria. Hislop.